You're on Community Radio 2XX 98.3 FM. You're listening to Behind the Lines and you're with Scotty and Zena. Today we are going to be looking at community mobilisation in times of disaster. Now we've just had a whole swag of times of disaster and we're joined by... A massive crew in the studio. We, we've overpopulated. Um, we're going to we're going to mow down the carpet here with all these people coming in and out. Um, but we have with us Mark Spain now. Mark has been um, doing some some community development work and, and cohesion stuff down the coast, and, and he'll be able to explain that much better than us later on. And on the dog and bone, we have Penny Coth, who is. Um, has been on the road helping out um, helping out farmers all over the country for uh, for 16 months at least I think um, so she's got an amazing handle on sort of how how the country has been faring before the fires and and now she is working with Oricoop the organic and regenerative investment cooperative which is a nationwide um, cooperative to uh, to help farmers um, do their thing in a well, in, in the best way they can, um, but she's helping coordinate the uh, the fire relief efforts for Ori Co-op all over the country. Um, yeah, so who else have we got, Zena? Oh, good morning, this is Zena Richardson. We have uh, Andrew Dale here from the G-Spot in Gungalan, um, who's been organising the gathering of food, water and basic supplies, as well as white goods, furniture, vehicles, caravans, uh, other forms of shelter, like shipping containers, uh, from the Canberra community and delivering them to the fire-ravaged towns on the south coast and beyond. Uh, amazing work there. And also we have Kate Tanasia and Fanji uh, Stradwick, who are here from Picking Up the Pieces, um, Kate's an ex-police or ex-AFP officer and uh, Fanji is an ambulance paramedic and they've both been volunteering with an amazing organisation called Picking Up the Pieces to help people with the PTSD uh, after living through natural disasters. So uh, some amazing guests we've got here this morning, really looking forward to getting into uh, conversation with everyone. So welcome. Thank you for joining us. Yes, and, welcome uh, everyone. Thank you. Yeah, we'd maybe love to um, hear a little bit about everybody. So we'd, we'd like to start with Penny, maybe, talking yeah. to us about her work. All right, Penny, uh, you go first. Thank you, thanks. I'll go first. Uh, so myself and my husband, uh, basically, we sold our farm at the end of 2018 and we've been travelling countryside, predominantly Victoria, South Australia, New South Wales and Queensland at this point, but helping out um, on regenerative farms uh, across the landscape. And now we're, um, I guess, since the fires, which, well, they've been going since October last year, but um, focusing on working with Oricorp to coordinate their volunteer efforts for particularly organic and biodynamic farms that have been affected by the fires, um, supporting them in, in ways that, I guess, where other organisations are not already stepping in. So, you know, you've got Blaze Aid doing fencing and so forth. Um, so it's more about helping them with crops and just making sure their businesses can, can keep functioning. Yeah, nice. And uh... um, Mark, would you like to tell us a little about your work that you've been doing recently? 
Okay. Um, well, look, I grew up in the Snowy Mountains and I live in Canberra, but uh, I also, uh, when my children were born, I ended up building a house down the coast uh, with a couple of other families. That, that house actually got burnt down on uh, New Year's Eve at uh, North Rosedale. So, you know, I'm finding myself going through some grieving about that. <clears throat> but my work is uh, leadership development. And in the last few years, we've been um, building capacity and resilience in rural communities, and especially the southeast of New South Wales, and also up around Tamworth and the northwest, and also the uh, Hunter and Great Lakes, uh, working with land care. And uh, this is working with uh, land care facilitators and uh, people who are small business owners and um, people who want to see social change happening in their rural communities. So over the last few years, we've been building a fantastic network of people down the south coast of New South Wales who are into uh, helping build resilient communities. So that's the sort of work I've been doing. And maybe just recently, two weeks ago, we hosted a, a workshop about learning from the bushfires in uh, Maruya. And I'd certainly like to tell you more about uh, my experience of working with uh, local communities and what they've learnt about uh, what works and what's a, a challenge for them after big disasters like the, the fires. Yeah, that's fantastic, Mark. I mean, that's the whole point of this show is really looking at how the communities responded to the disaster situation and, and is picking up the pieces and filling in um, where some of the larger charities and the government has really left people high and dry. So, um, Andrew, you've got an interesting um, story about how you got involved in this. You actually own a, a catering truck called yep. the G-Spot in Gungarland. So how did you get from that to uh, bushfire relief? Uh, good morning. Um We've always done a little bit of donation collecting and uh, helping out in different ways. And I just, on November the 12th, I said to my daughter, we should do something for Taree. And she said, what are we going to, because my daughter, my daughter runs the van now. I, I don't, I don't work at it. And um, she said, what are we going to do? And I said, I'll let you know. And anyway, I went to bed that night, not knowing what to do because of the logistics of getting stuff up to Taree, where previously I'd collected stuff once a fortnight for communities at work. I'd put in my car, I'd drop it up there the next day and it was no logistics, it was simple. <laughs> I just didn't quite think of all the logistics and then, I don't know, I got kissed, kissed by a fairy and the next morning I got a phone call from a regular, uh, Michael Ogden from um, Mixed Transport and he he said to me, Andrew, I've got an empty truck going up to Taree next week. <laughs> Are you going to do any donation stuff? And I went... Are you kidding? Like it's just, it's, and away we went. And then, you know, I said, I said uh, that day, that day, I did a go live. I did a go live within thirty seconds of that, just going, wow, how freaky is this? And, and I said, I'd love to see thirty or forty boxes of water tonight. In fact, that's what I want to see. And first night, we got seventy-three boxes of water, and I went, okay, this could be quite big. And anyway, it ended up being in, in over two, two and a half hour nights, Wednesday and Thursday, and Friday and Saturday, two four and a half hour nights. We got twenty-eight pallets of stuff. Um, and we just haven't stopped because because we just haven't stopped because it's just it's just the love's kept coming. People want to donate, so we've just kept going. And our Facebook's had over six million views, and it's been and I've loved proving to people that when Facebook's used right, it can be a very powerful tool with all the anti-Facebookers and stuff. But when it's done right, it can be a really really good tool, and that's what it's been for us. Mm -hmm. And you know, like just quickly one specific was 
Honey Mogo Honey Company. I got a phone call from a mate, mate of mine, Gino, who lives down at down at Long Beach. He collects. He's a honey. He's a he's a bee man, and he was speaking to someone about this this family from Mogo Honey who lost everything, and he said, "What do you reckon we had to get this thing a forty two extractor, extractor forty two frame extractor? They wanted something about that size. I put it up. I think it was eighteen hours later we got one, and it was freaky, and that saved." Their business made a lot of people happy, and it's just you know all I did was was write a few letters, and it just and it, and away it went, and and they've got and I met the guy at the van on Sunday. On the Wednesday they dropped it down there. He he you know and and they're back in business, and that's the power of Facebook. Yeah, and it's amazing because you know you guys have really stepped in to deal with the immediate crisis, but what we're experiencing now that you know it's there's less of the fires in the media. The smoke's cleared from Canberra. Sure. People aren't thinking about it as much. And the real work, as you've all said to me, the real work begins now. Mm. It's it's the recovery process, and it's now figuring out how to support and help people, um, you know, return to their lives and get back on their feet. And that's what um, Kate and Fanji, you guys have been doing um, to help with the aftermath is to get people um, sort of back on track who have been suffering PTSD from the situation with the fires. If you could tell us a little bit about your work there with uh, picking up the pieces. Oh, picking up the pieces has been around for a little while actually. We've been doing this um, kind of work for probably since about 2009 I guess and originally started with um, education into frontline first responders because we knew that they were experiencing trauma as part of their work. So we developed a bit of a program and and rolled that out and it was really quite successful. So, um, yeah, so since then we've done a lot of sort of professional development and learning and going overseas and Canada to sort of learn about crisis um, intervention and disaster management and a few things like that. So I guess um, inadvertently our charter's probably changed a little bit over the last few weeks. Just (laughs) just, just slightly. To say the least. (laughs) Um, We're seeing a lot of... um, There's still a lot of... The fallout for this is going to be long and a really long recovery process and I guess we know from research the sooner we can implement some strategies into sort of help seeking behaviour and putting the right things in place which at the moment there's a little lack of cohesion within the communities is what we're seeing so um, for example we sort of um, I've been out on the ground in many of the the communities and boots on the ground and just chatting along and you know we've still got people that haven't even got access to water and things like that. So there's still a lot of basic things. And I guess when we look at the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, we're still down the very bottom trying to Mm. get basic human needs met. And the longer they take to sort of map up to the top, um, the harder it is going to be for communities to recover. So we're sort of really looking at a strategy at the moment of of coordinating so we sort of that's why my eyes are hanging out of my head <laughs> so we're putting together a proposal to just get a little bit more coordination in place in terms of each of the communities because that way then everyone knows what's sort of going on and at the moment that seems to be the consensus when you speak to um, members especially out, out on the farms it's sort of you know it's it's really um, quite devastating and the other thing is it's sort of you know we're sort of eight eight weeks down the track and we had all that beautiful rain so it sort of lures people into a bit of a false sense of you know how everything's going because it's pretty and it's green but you can still see the tragedy of the fences and the buildings and things like that so people will get lost I think in in really what's going on so yeah we've got a lot of work to do. (laughs) There's, There's a lot of resources out there it's just 
connecting people mm. to those resources and also recognising that um, I was having a discussion with one of the recovery um, organisers for one of the New South Wales Shire Councils and that was that they'd had a, um, a, t- a town meeting for recovery stuff, uh, I think it was two nights ago, and, and they were actually quite amazed at how many people turned up. So then we sort of had the discussion of, like, well, people are turning up probably because now they're starting to come down from that you know, oh God, something bad just happened and now they're processing it and then thinking I've got to do the next step, what do I have to do? So that's that's the change of their their thinking, their logic is it's now starting to come back down to earth and go, right, okay, what do I need to do? Yeah, and I guess it's sometimes you don't know what you need till you need it. No, oh, yeah, it's exactly that, right. You know, I said that, no. but post shock. So, um, Mark, you've just run a community conversation in Maria to um, help people with the fallout of the bushfire situation there. And would you like to tell us a little bit about that and some of the things that came out of that? Like, what what inspired you to do that, and how did that uh, help the community and support the community? Yeah, well, that as I said before, um, uh, my business partner and I. Uh, worked with a, a whole lot of people you know probably over a hundred people over three years down the south coast from Wollongong down to uh, Eden and out to Crookwool and down to uh, Dalgetty you know so that that's sort of part of New South Wales but um, uh, my business partner lives in Chiros Heads and uh, you know he felt like uh, even though the fire didn't get into his place in Chiros Heads he was uh, had a very thorough fire plan and you know put uh, a pump on his tank and got sprinklers onto his roof and got woolen clothing and everything but then just talking within the community just feeling like um, you know people all had different levels of preparedness but there's also uh, you know different levels of uh, coping and reacting to an emergency like that so we we do a lot of work just getting people sitting in a circle and having conversations so we went to the um, a uh, small church in uh, Maria. We had 30, uh, 45 people, um, and we asked people what did they notice that worked well. And the first thing that happened was that most people uh, wanted to complain and get angry about things that didn't work well. And uh, what I notice when that happens is that uh, it's it's a legitimate frustration when people see things not working. But when uh, all we can express, and of course the media loves to amplify anger and frustration and despair, but the downside of that is that people give away their agency to make a difference in their community and in their life. So we weren't trying to deny people expressing that, but we also just asked people to look at when you were frustrated and things weren't working, what did you also notice that did work? So um, I, I noticed you've got the report that we put together there so there's, uh, and I can't remember them all, but, you know, people started to see little things that happened. And often it's within the capacity of them in their local uh, community. Just the, the communication systems, like when the electricity goes down and your phone doesn't work and mobile towers are down and, um, you, you know, the <coughs> Facebook and the internet doesn't work. You know, the ABC radio is a really key uh, connector. But even then, the RFS website isn't always able to be kept up to date with people who are in local areas uh, seeing where the map is of where the fire is. Uh, it's, it can be a few hours behind. So um, even just a simple thing in a community of a, of a community notice board uh, and the sort of people who are vulnerable in communities, you know, who can't uh, get out of their house, uh, neighbours being able to take an interest in them. So that came up quite a bit. Um, 
Look, uh, yeah, I've, I've got all of this here. I won't go through it. But the, the other thing that we did after we looked at what worked, and we got people just talking to each other in small groups, and uh, it's just amazing, the buzz in the room. Uh, but then we started to say to people, um, you know, what, what, are, what are the things that uh, make you notice, that make you resilient? Not just you personally resilient, but the community around you. So that was a deeper level of reflection. And um, what people started to see was that even though they have an expectation about the local council, uh, the state government, you know, the prime minister and the national government, usually those institutions don't always live up to people's expectations. Although I must say the, the, uh, the mayor of Bega, uh, the, the woman who, who does that, seems to have come out very well in the, a lot of the conversations. So um, people find themselves being a bit critical, but they do find that uh, just... Uh, local networks, local relationships, people helping each other out. And, and it's interesting, you know, hearing about the mental health issues as well because people actually, when they start to do things of their own energy and capacity, it's a healing process. So they start to collaborate with neighbours. They're very talkative with each other uh, and people are in a similar boat. They listen to each other. And, uh, you know, so that sort of resilience really starts to build. I should also say that Cabago, even though we only had a few people from further down the, the coast, um, the, the wonderful thing that's happening in Cabago at the moment is each week uh, they're getting together the community just to talk about the sorts of things they want to do together, just in small groups, uh, hosted by some of the uh, people who've been doing our leadership development program. And um, that just creates an opportunity. Some people want to work on a new vision for the community and then other people just want to feed the animals. You know, there's all sorts of different needs around, but small groups can work together to do that and collectively they can see each other's work. So in terms of the work that I do, the simplest thing to do is just help the community reconnect to itself and to see itself. So often uh, government services leave people as consumers of services and they're isolated individuals in the system, whereas a really healthy network and a thriving system is when people in the system can see each other and have got the agency to collaborate and work together with each other. So that, that type of uh, uh, system where it's locally managed, it's self-organising, it's a new way of doing it, it's not centrally controlled by a command and control structure, um, you know, uh, people start to develop some capacity to do things for themselves. I could probably talk a bit more about that, but that might be enough to start with. Yeah, no, that, that's fantastic. Because I'm, I'm hearing a similar story from all of you here that um, a lot of you have come into this with a desire to help and, and to respond to a crisis. And then now you've actually become almost like a cooperative or a collective of people working together. And I, I see a lot of, um, you know, very, very similar goals and similar <laughs> needs that you're talking about. So, um, you know, Andrew, you've got all of these goods and things that you've been collecting to get to people and you know you didn't know what people needed until they started um, sharing with you what, what their situation was like and you know people still I'm sure in Canberra may not realise there's people still living in tents in the oh, mud down it's, there it's, you know it's, um, it's, it's actually worse it's probably I, I think it's probably fair to say it's worse now almost than what it was during, the, during those really bad days because because it's Canberrans, whilst they've given so much, and through us, we, we sent 70, 70 trucks, semi-trailers went down to the coast. Okay, um, I, 
a lot of those in, were in initial stages uh, in collaboration with Slabs for Heroes, and then and then we went back on our own back to our back to our car park at the Gungala Lakes Club and did our own thing. And um, I, fi- I figure, and I, and this is very very conservative. Each truck had twenty five thousand dollars worth of worth of food or, and water on it, and that's based on us going and spending six or eight thousand dollars at Costco or Woolies or wherever it was and putting it on the truck, and it it's twenty percent of the truck. So, twenty five thousand is very conservative, just to keep it real. So, so there's one point seven five million dollars worth of donations. That's all from, I think most of that's from Canberrans, and everyone just gave and gave and gave, and people gave every day. There's a lot of people that just kept coming, and um, but now that it's not front page news in the lead story, it's fallen away, and 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 to. A bit of proof behind that is we did a food collection last Saturday afternoon, just just for two and a half or three hours. We might normally get, for instance, enough bags to fill in that time. Twenty five bread crates. We filled two bread crates the other day, and and that it's just tells you about the changing of the times. Um, people are still giving us fridges and, and, and white goods and, and cars, and, and I've thought about why they, they're doing it, and I think that's because they've got them. They're there, it's hanging around, they can see it, oh, why don't I just, why don't, you know, which is great. It's, it's, I'm not putting down the reason, but the, I think the reason is that it's, it's easy to do and versus, and it might be worth more money than going and getting 100 or $200 worth of groceries, but people did put in a hell of a lot of effort and and it's just dwining away and and you know the the, the fact is now that this I just spoke to Matt Hatcher from South Coast Logistics team this morning and he um they they delivered eight pallets of water yesterday to Kwama Kabago cuz cuz of Blaze Aid up there they're using a lot more water so they need to help them out Bondi Surf Club of Still got another forty or fifty pallets of stuff in Sydney for him to to bring down, for waiting for him to call to bring to bring it down. Which uh, convoy missions are bringing it down for them, and he's and it's ready to go, but that's running out too. Um, they're sending stuff down as far as Can River, because there's there's so many places: Nerigunda, Ni- uh, Kaya, uh, Can River. Um, um, in Boca have just got back on back on well they're, they're not on their feet but their toes are in the water at last you know there's un, I believe there might be one person left in the tent there but there's so many towns that have been left out just haven't got anything I mean yesterday we got a, a <laughs> I put up a thing about a, a, a shed that someone could come and get in three weeks. The person was going to take it down. I, I said, I'd really like someone who's living in a tent to get it. I don't want it to be for someone to have for tools or whatever. I think there's a deeper meaning in helping someone who might be able to live in it. And the lady rang me and I said, oh, look, you don't quite qualify because if you... She said, look, I agree. She said, but look, I've got this friend who's at uh, Tin tin Pot. Who's at Tin, who's at tin Pot. <laughs> and... And this was just like, we'll shut that, we'll open it in another conversation, same person, and they've got this tree, it's blocking their driveway, it's a 76-year-old man, six weeks they've been trying, they've spoken to RFS, SES, they've spoken to the council, four different agencies, and everyone sort of passed the buck, and I said, tell me a bit more about it, where is it? Anyway, so I said, I'll make a phone call, I, I rang this one to the left of me, Kate, <laughs> and this is how simple things are, because if you don't make the call, 
you're never going to know. But if the answer's no, well, at least you know the answer. You know, so I, I ran Cape. Cape rings Blazade. Blazade are there in about 12 hours. They cut this massive tree. They have, to, they have to take winches and stuff to get out of the driveway. These people sent me a message last night. I sent it to Kate. Kate cries. And, and, <laughs> and that's how it rolls. And that's how it rolls because – and it's just a beauty of our network. Mm. Like we've got a page with us four, us three and Stephanie Rushton from um, Hands for Farmers, who if you've got a question, you'll put it there and we'll have a think tank. It might not be what we're doing. It doesn't matter. But we, our brains are all aligned to get it done. To, to, we, we want to get it done. It, it's it's um, maximising our networks that we've built during this whole crisis already separately. And then, yeah, as Angie just said, someone's got a problem, put it into our little group and has someone already solved that solution or someone's met someone that we can make mm. a phone call. And it's it's actually really lovely little group that there's no egos we just get it done or if we can't get it done we all know it can't be done it's so yeah it works really well i think in a way you're answering one of the next questions i was going to put to you because all of you who are doing this on a volunteer basis also have full-time jobs you also have other work that you have to do and i know that both um Kate and Fenji said they've had no sleep. They've been up doing this all night, and I'm sure that probably Andrew and Mark haven't had much sleep either. So, you know, here you guys are doing basically the equivalent of two to three full-time jobs. How do you guys look after yourselves to make sure you don't burn out? And I think I can see there's a lot of solidarity and community and then mutual support, but um, this must be a real challenge for you guys. Yeah, I think... Um I can't speak for I can't speak for Mark and Andy just is a machine he just keeps going but we we I learned the hard way very mm-hmm. early on about burnout and um, so we have a process now with our group in terms because there's more than just Fenji and I and picking up the pieces we're a, a collective and we really ensure that our mental health is sort of kept up and if if um, I have any concerns or fears about someone might be not travelling so well. I'm, I, I'm so the only, only time that I'll ever put my you need to step back pants on because we what we, you know we're we're here for sustainability and longevity and a lot further into the future and um, yeah it's really really important that we look after ourselves because we cannot you know we're absorbing a lot of emotion. Um, I, I was really lucky. I had the privilege of going down to Cabago and, and camping in with Blaze Aid for a few days and my whole family just um, volunteered for Blaze Aid and, and got out and got into the community. And, you know, exactly what Mark was saying, the communities are what's going to heal communities and we know that. So, you know, being part of that and, you know, we don't want to come in as outsiders over the top and say, you know, you need to be doing this, you need to be doing that. What we're doing is working alongside communities so and, and showing sort of... Um, you know, some some sort of rapport that you know we just we, we're not going to forget you, and we're going to keep keep working alongside for as long as it takes. So, yeah, so that's sort of I think having the networks that we've got and having the rapport that we've all got and working in together is a much better model to use because boots on the ground and going into places and Andy would have seen that mm-hmm. and yourself, you know, those boots on the ground 
give you a better idea of exactly what's actually happening out in the communities, mm-hmm. the good and the bad. You know, we've seen the most amazing thing. And, you know, even out at dinner at, uh, in Cabago the other night, you know, the first thing that someone will do is come up, you know, if you're out with a family that's really impacted, someone will come up. In fact, I can categorically tell you in Cabago there's not one person that hasn't been impacted. That's the end of story. Mm-hmm. But it's what I love is this collective, you know, if you're having dinner, it's like, oh, how are you going, Dave? You know, how's your family? And then someone will come in and ask them. So that's why bringing the community together in anything that we can do and and assist in getting up on their feet is probably the best model I've seen going forward, not coming, exactly what you're saying, not coming in over the top and building these big structures as such. It's like driven, community driven. So It's very empowering for the community. It's giving them autonomy to to make their own decisions and to not wait for someone else to make that decision for them. Well, and then things like, I mean, with regards to not burning out. So um, I'm not... I'm not at full capacity at this mm. point in time. So when we went down to Cabago and, and Kate and the mm. Tenacia clan went and did Blaze Aid mm. stuff, um, there's a family that we're helping down in Cabago. And so I actually stayed with them and did art stuff with their kids and took my dog for a walk. And that was that was a time out for me just to switch off and, mm. and have a relaxing time for me. But it was also helping, um, still doing some art stuff and doing, you know, playing with their kids and, and take my dog for a walk so that you're still visiting and, and then working out some of the issues that we are doing with that family in f- mm-hmm. sort of as you went over a day or two but it just means that we still get to switch off and you know mm-hmm. we build those sorts of things mm-hmm. in um you know. so self-care becomes part of the yeah. recovery yeah. process and yeah. it's very much our mantra um, it, ha- it has to be mm-hmm. so yeah and there's so much research around now how good volunteering is for people um you know it's just you know i know myself we you know i have a husband who has chronic chronic ptsd um i think he's probably and he's quite open about his ptsd he's been hospitalized probably 10 times i guess and watching him go into the community mm. and openly talk about mental health, um, going out and, and working on the fences, it's probably the best I've seen him in a long time. So mm. he's, you know, he's been very active down in Cabago and, you know, <laughs> my son's partner came out and said, I've never seen him like this. And it's like, no. yeah, but then, you know, so while he's down there and he sort of said to me, you know, he's, he's busting to get back down and, and assist and help. So we know that that model is really good as well. And if you've got that lived experience model, which we know is very effective at breaking down stigma, then that's really fantastic. So if he's, you know, if he's having a conversation with someone that might not be travelling so well and we're getting conversations and referrals and people all the time now just in regards to sort of some assistance we don't we're not clinicians but we refer and we're that we're trying to close that gap between help seeking behavior and the stigma so stigma is my passion as you may know yeah, <laughs> so. yeah. absolutely brilliant yeah. i mean having a purpose i think that um scotty would love to yeah, uh, get yeah, penny look. back in the conversation here and perhaps yeah. uh, put some questions to her sure i'll join that's it so penny, penny you've been uh, you've been all over the place really and it's like we're talking about our local area here but are you seeing this sort of thing where the community's yeah. just jumped in and responded really well um all over the place look i think um i would agree with well, with what everyone has said, I think that, um, you know, there was a lot of focus early on, obviously, when the fires were in the news and, you know, initial impacts and so forth. But for many people, I mean, I've been through 
both a bushfire in 2013, which took most of our property, and separately to that, I'd lost my house in a fire. But so I guess um, I can connect with people who are only really now, you know, two, three months after the fires have come through, just realising what they actually need and how they're feeling. And I think community is is going to be really, really important in rebuilding that resilience. Um, and it's great to hear some examples of, of what is happening down on the South Coast. And I think that, you know, that's replicated totally across the areas I've seen after the fire are more sort of East Gippsland and, and Snowy's area. And you just drive through and, you know, the, the devastation is, is obvious. And, and now, yes, it's coming back green, but, you know, everything is, you know, houses, shed, fences, everything's destroyed. I think that um, being able to go into, um, in our case, it's normally individual farms, but as volunteers with, I guess, a group of people that are uh, really in there to, to help do a, a bit of work. So an example is we helped an organic farm process um, their garlic, which they had had hanging in a shed and the rest of the property burnt. It burnt the corner of the shed and they thought, well, the garlic's safe. And we were going to go into their property and help them process this garlic. And in the end, there were still fires burning, so we had to relocate the garlic so we could help process it. And um, they sort of thought, that, well, number one, they really didn't they didn't want to accept the help. It's hard for people to say, yes, I need help, and put their hands up. And once we got there, I found it was, um, which, which I guess I expected, but it was the emotional support as much as the physical activity and sitting and doing an activity with a group of, you know, a dozen people and the farmers and just, you know, gentle conversation um, really, I guess, made them feel like there was a way forward and that um, they could see that they could overcome this hurdle, that it wasn't, oh, well, we're just, you know, the garlic might as well have died kind of thing. Um but it was only in, in doing that that we then realised that some of the garlic had been fire-affected. So whilst they thought their crop was safe, it turned out that actually it wasn't. And it's only when you start doing things and, and working through a recovery process that you start to realise what the other impacts are. So, you know, everyone is, you know, offering help, which is great, but it's often not until six months, 12 months down the track that... that, that some of the reality, particularly on farms, um, in terms of the damage to, you know, soils and ecosystems and things really starts to show. So, you know, I totally agree with these guys. You know, that longer-term commitment is really important. And just the, just that listening and, and rebuilding of both people and businesses and community is, is really the way to head. Yeah, that's great. You know, Penny, one of the things that I've really thought about too with organic farming, it's often quite a journey to get a farm um, certified organic um, and there's, you know, a bit more of a process involved for organic farmers. Is it a longer road back for them than traditional arable land farming? I think the challenge is that, um, you know, to keep your organic certification, you can't just go off track and get, I guess, animal feed from anywhere or seed from anywhere. Um, you need to still stay within the boundaries of your organic certification. And 
whilst there are a lot of people out there, you know, organising speed for, for animals and so forth for donation, um, often that is not suitable for organic farmers. Um, but also that a lot of the, um, I guess, stuff that has affected farming and, as I said, soils, biodiversity and so forth, that's a really key part for maintaining an organic farm. And it's normally not covered by certainly the government agencies, um, insurances, that sort of thing. So um, just trying to access that um, suitable input material is can be really tricky. So, I mean, not, I'm not, you know, every farmer and every family deserves all the support they can. I guess we're just focusing on their organic and biodynamic and not necessarily certified, just people that are trying to operate on that plane to make sure that they can continue their businesses operating at that level. Yeah, just um, from perspective, from my point of view, was that the Capital Region Farmers Market, just um, in their January um, market uh, days, there was probably 30% to 40% less providers at the market and most of them were organic producers that had been deeply impacted. So I thought we've just overnight lost 30% of our organic growers um, yeah. and, and you know, in the supply chain. And I just thought that was, to me, that was really, really stark to see that. Yeah, and I guess that's where um, the Oricorp Bushfire Appeal, which um, was started out of Oricorp, I'm just looking after the volunteer side of it, but um, really to, to make sure these farms don't disappear because so quickly overnight you can lose your certification. Um, and, yeah, it's, it's, it's just a different problem added on top of the, the whole, you know, having a farm worked out to start with. But it's, I mean... The number of farms out there that have just been devastated either, um, you know, through crops or infrastructure or emotionally just not able to, to bring themselves to, to take produce to market is, um, is large. Yeah. So we had um, a couple of growers that were um, sort of newer farmers sort of within the last sort of five or six years and they lost everything on the coast. They lost their homes, they lost their farm, they lost all their farming equipment. Um, they didn't have mentally in them to come back from that and to, to start again. They just thought they couldn't go through that journey and then you've got really long established uh, farms like some of the stone fruit growers in Araluan who have orchards that are decades old and that you cannot recreate that um, mm. in a short time. So even if you want to stay farming, even if they want to continue to produce, they cannot produce the, the, the same level uh, and quality of produce they were producing prior to the fires. You know, you need another 30, 40 years to regrow those orchards. Mm. Yes, yeah, so, and that's happening yeah. up and down the coast. There's yeah. avocado farms, there's citrus farms. You know, in Braidwood, there's Australian mountain pepper. There's there's a lot of, particularly when you're looking at that orchard side of things, there's no quick fix. Yeah, it's just really tragic. I mean, um, Andrew, you were telling me about how long it's taken, because you've been helping Tari for a while, how long it's taken Tari to come back. No, that, that, no, that was Tarthra. Oh, Tarthra, sorry, yeah. pardon me. Um, and that gave me a real sense of, well, there's a yeah. long journey ahead in getting people back to a place of self-sufficiency. Yeah, so, 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 so there was a fire in Tartra <coughs> two years ago, and, and, I, and, I, and I use an analogy, there was one pimple on the bum, so there was, they were the only fire. Mm. Now we've got 50 pimples on the bum, and I believe, and I got told this on Monday, this was a, a figure I got told, 60 houses burnt, 
two years, six have been rebuilt. So we're talking about one community, all close, all close, not not spread out like we are in Kaya and Narigunda and mm. all these different communities where they're in the hills and stuff, which mm. takes that work level to another another level of, of coordination level. Um, and there's only been ten percent of them rebuilt, and it's it's a terrible stat moving forward to to contemplate how how we, we're going to fix this problem and, the, and 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 what has been discussed here and you know look look I, I met Kate and Fenji and Stephanie Rustin who was had a shared a group called doing it for the farmers which is recently closed down um, and she's changed it to hands for farmers. Farmers hands. Farmers hands is it? Farmers, farmers hands. hands. Farmers, farmers hands. Australia. And she's been doing her thing for three years. Three or plus, four years. Three yeah. or four years. And she's amazing. She just, she's just, she's just doesn't stop asking questions of people. She just doesn't stop. And she, and she'll, and when she tells you something, she, and she'll say, Andrew, you know, this is not, this has to happen. You know, and she, and she makes you go. Okay, this is going to happen then. You know, we're going to make this happen. Um, and I met these people through through Facebook, through reading their Facebooks, what they do, and, and, and found out the sort of people they were. And we were on fire at the time. We, we had a lot of wind in our sail. And so... That's a good was, analogy, though, I was going to say. Yeah. That was well worded. Oh, injury. sorry. No, it's not, yeah, sorry. It wasn't good, was it? But um, um, anyway... And I just watched watched these guys on Facebook and, and end up getting chatting. And then we did this uh, toy toy mm. collection day the day before Christmas. So I think that we must have got five thousand toys delivered to us, mm. you know, in in a four hour period. And people coming down to help wrap and pe- people who donated to us, you, 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 they became vagrants. You couldn't get rid of them. Like no, they, no one wanted to go home. And when it was over at the end of the day, everyone sort of went, "Oh, is that it?" They just wanted to keep doing it. And then so I. We had a lot of toys left over, so I said to the girls, "Can you? Because they were taking them out to farm farmers out around Braidwood and the like, and to RFS people who couldn't couldn't didn't have time to get toys for the kids." And that's where we talked a, a couple of times on Facebook before that, but that's where we became a thing. Mm-hmm. And now we're very tight. We have this. We have a we have a volunteers a G Spot mm-hmm. Volleys family. We've called it. I was going to ask you to explain to us who the G-Spot Volleys are. Okay, yeah. so they're our volunteers, that, that, that the people that came every day and have become family. Um, we, we've had a dinner for the last five or six weeks uh, every Wednesday night and there's 20 is about the worst, the least that's turned up and 40 is the most. And we go to a different place most weeks and people bring their kids and I've seriously, seriously not heard one argument. I've not heard one person belittle anyone. I've not heard one person say we're doing this wrong or that wrong. All I've heard, look, when we get there, when, when everyone arrives, everyone cuddles each other. When everyone leaves, everyone cuddles each other. <coughs> it's, it's extremely incredible, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And, and I brought these girls along with Stephanie one night because I thought, we're slowing down here with this collection thing and these people are really good people and they might want to help in, help in another volunteer area. And I thought, that's why I bought well, remember we yeah. talked about that, and I brought yeah. them along to introduce them to the group because I hadn't met them. I, I, only I had, and I thought I reckon they're going to get on really good. 
they're like me that's not about me it's about doing it and it's the smile the inner smile you get because you know when you do good <laughs> you don't need anyone to tell you you've done good you just don't because yeah, your body your body tells you and it dances you know and and the girls the girls came along and Julia Jones came along to that to that that thing as yeah. well and she's become a little bit of a part of us too Andrew if we can help you anything give us a yell <laughs> she's been really really good I've got to say um and and so yeah, so they they joined they joined our, our group and they they came to dinner again on Wednesday night with us and you know and and it's just networking and meeting people and it's just everyone just wants to help. If I put a call out, we're doing we're doing a fundraiser like I did on Saturday. I, I did it Friday night. We're going to do this thing tomorrow from one to four or whatever. And I think sixteen of the volunteers turned up. Mm-hmm. And I said I said one thing during our busy, real busy time. We had a slightly quiet afternoon. Everyone was standing around talking with each other. I said it's a bit of a bummer. It was so quiet this afternoon. I said, but. I'm just standing here looking at everyone, but we've lost nothing because everyone's sitting here getting to know each other better. Mm. And, and that's what happens every time we're a bit slow. That's everyone's mm. getting to learn more about each mm. other. And, and you know, and can I just say one? Mm. I just, I've, got to, I've got to mention this. I'm, I actually don't work. My daughter runs a business. Mm. My, I, I, had, I, had a, I had a pretty ordinary period in my life where I lost my... Mum's husband, who's Tony Coote, who owns Maloon Creek Natural Farm, okay, um, um, and, my, and my mother, he passed away on August the 8th, 2018, my mother, November the 21st, 2018, okay, and, and they created the Maloon Creek Institute together, okay, he left all his assets to that, which is so incredible, he left more assets to the Institute than most, most, than most companies leave to something it's it's incredible what he's done and and he he lived that life he he lived that life that style and you couldn't have a microwave in the house and all these things and tony was such a natural person anyway that happened and we gave our food van to my daughter just before that on july the first that year so that we could spend more time with with tony with tony mum because they were both very crook obviously and um and i actually haven't worked since and I was very much tasting the tail of the black dog, very much, very much. And I talk about it a lot in my gay lives. I talk to people about what this has done for me. This, you know, November the 12th, before that, I used to watch three movies a day. And when I was working, I, I wouldn't watch a movie because that's two hours of commitment of sitting on the couch doing nothing. I struggled. I'm a big football fan, but I struggled to watch a whole game of football because oh, I could be doing other stuff, you know. And, and so I really, really... When I was out, I wanted to be home. When I was home, I wanted to be out. All of that shit going on. And um, this lifted me, dead set lifted me out of, out of gave me so, my soul a purpose. When I wake up of a morning, I don't wake up and go, it's another day. I wake up and go, what are we going to do today? Do you know? Which I haven't tasted that for a long time. So, and, and, and I've told so many people that doing helping other people although although the little things I was doing for communities at work it didn't it wasn't as uplifting as this has been and I think this is just because of the scale of this um, but this is so lifting me and I tell people all the time if you if you're not if you're not, not in a great place and you can taste that tail <coughs> seriously go and go and help people go and get in, get into a community thing where there's a whole lot of people want to do good and it's incredible what it can do for your soul you know we had one guy who followed our Facebook, follows our Facebook, never met him, and he sent a message going, Andrew, I've, I've had depression, I'm going to come down tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And he came down, he came down day after day after day. He's been to, a, he's only been to a couple of our, our dinners. Mm-hmm. And, but 
it's, I know it's helped him, you know what I mean? And so I, I've said to a lot of people, I almost feel greedy. I'm almost doing it for myself now, not for anyone else because it's, mm-hmm. it's uplifting, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's, you can never give too much of your time. You can never mm-hmm. give too much of your soul. Yeah. I actually well, have to – oh, sorry. Go, no, go ahead, Kate. <laughs> I was just going to say um, that's sort of my story as well. I was in the public <laughs> servant, unsworn, um, and – you know, I, I really struggled to do a lot of balance and sort of went through a fairly anxious period for some time, couldn't balance both community work and was really, really affected by that. And quitting my job last year, I think it was last year, and doing Picking Up the Pieces full-time has just completely and utterly flipped my whole outlook on life, how I'm thinking I'm sort of getting back on my feet now. And I agree, this has actually yeah. sort of been this driving force of, you know, and all the love, the, all my loved ones and people around me and friends would probably mm-hmm. say the same thing. They would see a big difference. So there is a lot of validation in what we're doing. We don't do it for that reason, but it is a sort of, you know, I, yeah. I guess a, a hangover of what we're doing and it's good. It's really good yeah. work. So, yeah, so yeah. I can... I think Mark wants to so, jump in there. He's yeah. got something to contribute. Well, it's thanks, Sandra and Kate, for just sharing your personal experience. But, you know, I know from working with people uh, about being leaders, like uh, the things that give you meaning and purpose in your life is actually helping other people. And we have an economy at the moment that's quite selfish and greedy. And actually, this opportunity with these big natural disasters is a way for us to experiment with creating a new way of relating to each other and exchanging value with each other and building an economy that actually thr- th- um, thrives and flourishes with building ecosystems and communities. And the South Coast, if you look at any of those uh, organic farms that have been there, uh, up the Clyde Valley or the Dewar Valley, people have worked for 20 years to build houses and gardens. And the Maruya Farmers Market is, is probably one of the best farmers markets in Australia. Uh, I think it's still working okay because a lot of the, the produce is coming from country that wasn't burnt. But there would be some real challenges there with people. And I think the opportunity for us is to actually rethink how to build a circular economy. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know if you've heard of this idea of donut economics, but we can rethink the way we actually exchange value with each other and how we do energy. So rather than just having a central power station up in the Hunter Valley burning coal, uh, we can actually have local microgrids with renewable energy and um, Mike Cannon-Smith from Atlassian has come down from Sydney with $100 million worth of solar energy stuff just to put it on community facilities and things like that. And I think what we need is our centralised agencies to understand that to empower communities and to create wellbeing uh, for the long term, we need to um, create uh, cooperatives. So the value isn't just taken out of the community by big businesses like Coles and Woolies. Uh, You know, we're not trying to dismiss them, but when we can create local, thriving, resilient uh, systems that look after our energy, our water, our transportation, our communications, our housing, you know, all these types of things that are basic needs in communities can be owned and shared by communities. And the sort of value we get here that Andrew and Kate have been talking about, when people get meaning and purpose in their life and the values shared in a community, I mean, life doesn't get any better than that. So uh, this is a great opportunity for us to rethink with the challenges that are on the radar right across not only Australia but the planet, uh, how can we redesign a way for humans to thrive and live in their local communities and environments I think this is a great opportunity yeah. to bring our best thinking into that space. 
Well, it, it's you know sounding more and more like, and I've always thought this personally that communities know what's best for them. In that yeah. sense, you know, like yeah, communities help heal yeah. communities, yeah. and that's that's certainly a big thing. And it's it's empowering the communities and facilitating to get what they need, but letting them. Mm-hmm. You don't dictate to them. You just assist them with what they need, and, and so, you know if they get up on their feet, that's good. Yeah. And I want to keep reminding Penny, who's on our phone line here, to feel free to jump in uh, when you'd like to um, share some thoughts, because we don't want to forget about you. <laughs> no, that's okay. I'm enjoying listening. I'm yeah. sure all the listeners are too. <laughs> yeah. I think. I mean, I agree with Mark. I, I think that uh, from a personal point of view, going through. Um, these sorts of disasters it, for me was an opportunity to, for me to rethink and rebuild the way I wanted to live my own life and I think mm-hmm. that it is a perfect opportunity for communities to do that same thing and to really almost rebuild that resilience um, in local communities because, it, because over the years we have centralised a lot of stuff whether it's you know, as Mark was saying, you know, you call them all these, the food side of things, power, even things like livestock exchanges, abattoirs, you know. But, but it, the opportunity is there now and it's ripe for those communities to be determining what they want and to dictate their own terms rather than state governments, federal governments coming in and saying, you know, this is how we're going to do it. Um, I think it, it's a really important opportunity for people to, to grasp and, and it's sad that it's come out of disaster but I I look back at at what happened with us with fire and to me it's just made me such a stronger person and really able to identify what I do want out of life not what you know not just treading the mill as it were. Yeah I reckon that that ties in really well with um, there's a guy called Charlie Massey who lives out Cooma Way and he's written a book on I think he went around Australia and visited 80 to 90 different regenerative farmers and had good long conversations with them. And something that he found in common with almost all of them was that the transition from just doing the normal farming thing and chemical and doing what you're told pretty much by the agronomist and then flipping over into doing it completely differently and looking at the world around you and fitting in with it and all of that, the difference was always a big shock was a big thing the house burnt down or the somebody died or god knows what you electrocuted yourself or just something massive happened and, and they reassessed the whole lot and, and changed and i'm hoping that maybe maybe that can happen on a community scale as well mm-hmm. if we're able to get the right ideas and the right people in there that's the, that's the key is having the right right people making mm-hmm. the right decisions i think and that's what we've We've really yeah. seen and heard on the ground. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. So and that yeah that seems to be a common thread throughout the communities. You know everyone's sort of saying that. So. Yeah. It's it's um, what we've sort of been learning and looking at is is looking at who who are your prominent people in that community, and they're the ones that are the role models for the rest of the community. So like. Um, for instance, down in Cabago, um, there's someone who's quite prominent in that community, or was very prominent in that community, um, and he openly um, discloses that he's seeing a counsellor because of all the fire stuff and everything and, and that he finds benefit from it. And it's that sort of then busting the stigma of, you know, having a chat. Um, it's the same as we 
will reference to say like the um, the Lifeline Fire um, one three number they've got now. Don't don't wait till you're in crisis mode to ring them. If you just want to have a chat with them, have a chat with them and, and sort of diffuse it before it becomes you know to a crisis point um, with them not coping, and then you know it's sort of diffuse it little and often not sort of fall over at the end um and that's i mean that's the same with us you know um i'm i'm not doing too well at the moment but if i wasn't doing what i can with this stuff i'd be sitting at home watching movies or not doing anything so the volunteer work gets you out of bed and doing some stuff um even if it's not full capacity again you're doing stuff but other people then see that as a good thing so it's it's just it's yeah this donut thing of what goes around comes around and supporting each other um and supporting the communities and having those role role models there to say it's okay not to be okay um and then having the um the resources within that community then for the um community members to go to so, Kate, earlier you touched on Maslow's hierarchy of needs and you said that when we started out in this crisis, we're basically at the bottom level. Well, you, as you probably know, that the top level of Maslow's hierarchy of needs is a purpose, Yeah, is, yeah. is living on purpose and then being feeling that your contribution that you're making to your community yeah. is on purpose. And that seems to be w- w- what's happening. It's the shifting from crisis to purpose. Yeah, mm. and, and going through all those different needs. And, and what we'll see is sort of... There might be part of the, the the hierarchy here that's working, but falling down here. Yeah. So, and it's very very hard when you look at sort of you know when we're thinking about the amount of people that have that are, that, that don't have homes now. Yeah. So having safety and, yeah. and a place to live and all of those that's a basic need. Yeah. But then coming together as a community brings you up to here. So it's sort of it's it's quite interesting to see how that flows. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think it's um quite interesting because <laughs> yeah. I, I was reading through um, Mark's. Um, delivery of his community conversation that he did here and one of the outcomes was community resilience yeah, you know, the yeah, ability yeah. for the community to bounce back and what they learned to help them become more resilient or to become aware of their resilience and that's why we've really identified good role models within each sort of town if we can do that and yeah. have sort of a pillar that's that's willing to be open and talk about what they're going through and the family that we've sort of identified that's um that they're just amazing and absolutely beautiful and I think I can see them doing some really, really good work in the community because they are so well respected and it's just, um, you know, it's it's a good, you know, it's a good way to move forward, I think, and, and, and they've lost everything, yeah. like absolutely everything, but they're still poking along and that's that's really good. So, And, and that can be really informal as well. I mean, we last weekend um, had to go to the chemist. It's a country town. Everything shuts at 12, so um, the... Um, the dad in this situation was like, right, let's go down. We'll go do that. He'd do some stuff too. And so I was waiting for scripts and stuff to be done and the poor chemist was a locum, so he wasn't coping too well. <laughs> and um, But pretty much everyone walked past our friend and was like, you know, using two two names that he gets referred to and, mm-hmm. and you know, there's milk crates out the front of the shop so people just stop and have a sit and have a chat. Mm-hmm. And so you could see that even on, you know, just on Saturday morning, market morning sort of thing, everyone's coming together. But just you could see that this family that we're working with, how ingrained they are in that mm-hmm. community already. And they've, they've been there. They just missed the 2003 fires in Canberra. Um, so they've been there for a, a while, but they're certainly 
everybody knows who they are. I mean, that was the first first flying visit we had through Cabago because we were um, having um, trucks coming down from from up north with donated goods. We had to get to Bateman's Bay, and so it was literally went into the chemist and said, "Where does such and such live?" And trying to track him down. Oh, just you know, he was here five minutes ago. He's just up the street, going on the left, and they know exactly who you're talking about. So yeah, we've lost some of that in our big cities. We've compartmentalised ourselves where, you know, you can yeah. live in an apartment building with 50 people and not know any of them. Mm. You can not know your next door neighbour. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, mm. Kate, Kate, Kate and I both live in New South Wales and, um, and have both lived in the ACT. And um, I love where I live. It's, you do know your neighbours around. And even if you don't know them, it's high hair going when people are walking past and, you know, sharing of gluts of fruit, that sort of thing. You know, I've got this, you've got that. Um, you know, and the bats get the rest. So, yeah, it's it's still having that community within our communities. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I've had um, one of my old neighbours when I was... Um, so I was diagnosed um, PTSD. Um, and I was going through a really, really rough patch. And I didn't realise it. But next thing, there's a little note stuck under my windscreen wiper of like, you know, are you okay? You, you know, you look a bit sad. Come over for a coffee anytime you want to. And I've still got that note. I keep it in my the um, the sun visor of my car, and I know it's there. And that's been there for probably six years now. But every once in a while, I just get it down and have a look at it and go, no, that's community caring about community. And I, then I put it back again, and have a smile. It's sort of, you know, it's remembering. Looking after your neighbours, and you know, if that's just saying hello, but noticing if there's a change, that's great. So, um, I wish Scotty, did you have something you wanted to? Oh, look, yeah, I mean, that's a really great insight into community and and stuff, and it's it's also trust or or, or not trust, yeah, and it's um, it's networks and flows of information and energy and all of these amazing things. But one of the things that has been noticed throughout disasters around the world is that the the people who are already having the hardest time in society the the homeless um people are low socioeconomic so in our case it's probably aboriginal communities and stuff if they get hit they've got no buffers they've got no wealth already stored to to help anything how how have they gone down there we did some we did some donations down to we did some donations down to the rainbow community down at um, Maruya um, th- through, oh, I think it was Alice and Elliot helped us with that. And yeah, who are they? So Alan, Alan, uh, Alice uh, the, and Elliot, she, she d- looked up, started a thing at Dixon College about uh, 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 for ho- people looking for a ho- house. Mm. Um, and, sh- and she came out to a collection day one day at the G-Spot and... Someone said something, and I said we should do a day, just an Indigenous collection day, and then we had to make sure we did it right. We had to make sure we got the right thing. We had to get you have to get approval for trucks, and all sorts of stuff. So you've got to, you know, and and very happy to do it right. And so we just found out what they wanted. You know, people said to me, "Oh, they want the same things." I said, "Well, we don't know Maybe. that. Maybe <laughs> we, we don't. We don't know. We don't know. We don't know what their community's like. You know, we don't. We just don't know." So. So we 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 get we help them with what with what well people help them with with what they donated and I was we were quite specific that day that we weren't after this or that we're after this stuff and um, 
and 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 that day was 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 very good and powerful, and we had um, you know lots of happy people there, and and it, and it went really well. But I do know, I do know that communities down there are struggling, um, but they also are like a lot of a lot of people. They won't put their hand up, and that's and, and within here lies the problem with so many people that you can see, you can see they need a hand. They A won't ask and they B won't accept. I'm all right. Well, that's BS. You're not all right. You know what I mean? There's people who want to help. And, and this is how, this is part of what we're all talking about, the mental health thing. That saying I'm all right is just denial of the situation you're in. Yeah. You know, and, and that leads to... Problems. Let's say that S word, you know. That leads yeah. to suicides and it mm-hmm. does mm-hmm. because that, that denial, that build-up of denial and... and, and and it just does, and people have people. I, I can't understand why people this pride thing, and it's and it's everyone. Everyone's got it. Different levels of it. Different. Some 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 let it go. Some don't. I reckon I'd probably be one of those people to be honest. Again, I'm all right. I know. I'm here's me sitting on the other side saying this. You know what I mean? So I, I'm not saying I'm, a lot of nodding going on in the studio. I'm, I'm not saying it's easy, but it's it's if we could break down a stigma of that, break down the wall of that, it would make it so much easier, wouldn't it? If yeah. we could if we could knock down that wall of stigma of you're gonna you're gonna interfere with my pride if if I accept that orange for you. You know, I haven't eaten for three days. You know, but here's my orange. You know, it's just an orange. No, well, it's someone not. needs that orange more than me. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah and yeah. I guess in terms of mental health, you know, that's probably one of our biggest issues moving, like look, looking into the future and what we're we're about to face. I think the fallout of this is going to be horrendous, and it's the the, the most dangerous stigma is the stigma we put on ourselves, mm-hmm. and so there might be services offered. But will people engage in them? And so, and that—that's a really big thing. We had—we had, we had um, someone yesterday who'd actually been to the doctor, but the fear of, you know, maybe a referral to maybe having a little stay in hospital was not going to be the option. And that was really, you know, that was really quite dangerous. So, mm. um, and and Fenji intervened, which was great. But it's just um, that really, really is one of my biggest concerns because. You know, as as people sort of go through and become more stressed, if we don't start to sort of build some of that resilience that we've talked about, or, or people get missed in in certain areas, we're talking we're not only talking about post trauma, but then we're also looking at if things have been promised that may not necessarily have come through. Um, then we're also then looking at, at a at a moral injury, and and then in that they become encompassed, and then you've got all the other gamuts of mental health difficulties that go with that as well. So we're looking at something that could be really quite, you know, I, I've been noted to say in the last few days that without the community connectivity, we're going to have a disaster bigger than the disaster we've already got. And so what we need to do is try and put some mechanisms in place to allow people to feel comfortable to come forward using our role models in the community and allow them and and to say, you know, it is okay not to be okay and it's expected. So at the moment, most people would be in that transition of going, it's very normal to be going through an acute stress reaction. That's a normal reaction. You'd have to be sort of like fairly you know, you, uh, you're hardened not to have had a reaction. So mm. now where it becomes difficult is when this starts to transition into full-blown PTSD and then that doesn't get sorted, we, we, we're going to be looking at incidents of um, violence, like domestic violence is going to go through 
the roof. It will um, as alcohol increases and drug addiction increases. So there's so many other gamuts to this that that uh, sort of we foresee because this is what research is telling us from history. So I think this is a good opportunity, having heard the conversations this morning, of to tackle this a little bit differently and to tackle it from that community level and, you know, look out for your mates. You know, we have a saying, you know, look out for you, look out for your mates. That's our catchphrase. And this is a perfect example as to why. So if we can get some really good mental health education in so people know how to have that conversation with someone they might be concerned about or to even know that they may not be travelling so well. So we've, we've become pretty good at picking it mm. and seeing and having a basic conversation to be able to go oh, okay I don't think this person's okay so if we can get our community to learn how to have those conversations and it's community driven that's going to be far more effective than having you know you can point all the, the psychiatrists and psychologists and counsellors all over in the world but if we can't get people to engage mm. then it's a resource that's not going to be utilised and and yeah. it's never going to be enough either. No it's We've never going to be enough community no, scale. No yeah. That's Trauma. right. It's, 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 everybody's yeah. affected. Everyone. Yeah, yeah, there's just not that many. No. So, so we're tackling the, out there. Yeah. yeah, tackling the stigma is a really big, big thing for us, and that's sort of you know, but it's what we do. We we have post trauma written on our shirts. <laughs> we we wear them with pride. You know, it's like you know, and it, put and your hands up. The, 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 there's resources that are not going to be enough to address the mental health because it's just so, such a large scale of an event that's occurred, um, but. The earlier the intervention that happens, the earlier people talk, the less likely they are to then what we call self-medicate. So getting on to drugs and alcohol and then you have those social issues of domestic violence. You know, all that creeps in then because you've got people that aren't coping and then doing things that aren't healthy to try and cope. Um, so then it just gets... It runs away. Yeah. So I know um, Mark wanted to um, make some comments there, but just before we do that, I wanted to say that you know Andrew, you touched on using social media so successfully in the beginning, and I think we can continue to use that platform to try and spread the the resources yeah. for coping with the fallout, for mm. mental health yeah. fallout. Yeah, like, we have a Facebook page yeah. and have yeah. been uploading it. Yeah. To I, I have a, a chiropractor who was looking for a way to get the message out that she was willing to collect a whole bunch of chiropractors and go to five ravaged areas and give free clinics to people yep. who had obviously been defending their homes, they're physically exhausted and, and in pain. So there's people out there who want to, who want to come in and do what the people who've been doing with donations, you know, they want to come in and donate their services sure. and donate their knowledge mm. and help. And, and this is, they're going, but how do I do that? How do I connect with... Who needs it? How do I know who needs us? Mm. You know? We can find that out. We can find that out in an hour. We're working. And we're working on a proposal of being able to bring that knowledge together so it's a one-point call because that's where we found there's a lot of fracturing within the community because there is all this amazing offer of support and there's all of this, but we've got nothing over the top um, sort of drawing it together. So people are a bit sort of like, I don't know where to go or what to do or what's available. So if we can, we we've, that's why my eyes like this proposal at night, <laughs> like this is a way we could look at this using the community and the resources that way. Um, you know, that's something that we're looking at. So, so you've got to overcome well, certainly, the stigma. Yeah. Let us know if you uh, if you do get that together because we can spread it through the community oh, radio will. network. Community <laughs> yeah. radios oh, all yeah. through yeah. those areas. And yeah. We yeah. can help get word yeah. out too. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we, we things like when, the, when there's the community information meeting, meetings and things like that, we'll, we, we reshare that on our mm -hmm. Facebook page of, you know, the stuff that's locally. So it's we do promote that sort of stuff when we come across it across social media. Mm -hmm. 
um, and spread the word. But it's, it's, yeah, having that central point, which is the problem. Yeah, I think one, one of the things I'm really noticing from Andrew and Kate and Shenji is that uh, it's a self-organising system. It's not an agency or a bureaucracy or a, uh, a, an intervention that's coming from outside. These are people who've got skin in the game, they've got relationships with people and they're creating it together. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the things that often happens when we ask for help is that we lose our dignity a bit. You know, we all think we can get our act together even if we're struggling the most. So, but if, if you don't do stuff to people or for people, but you do things with people, so power is shared, then uh, it's great to, Kate's talking about her husband just being so energised by going helping putting up fences. I mean, there's a lot of men who really find it challenging in their masculinity to even ask for help. That's just a blow to your identity. But if you're working with people to create something, make stuff and get your hands on things, that's the most satisfying and rewarding thing. So anyone who's trying to help, uh, the, the way to do it is to do power with people, oh. not to people or yeah. for people. Yeah. Couldn't agree mm -hmm. more. I guess you could ask them to come and help you with something. Yeah. That's exactly right. Mm. That's yeah. what I was yeah. going to say. Ask them to come and help you. I guess you. the model, I mean, we've been... Yeah. Oh, sorry, Penny was um, oh, sorry, just trying Penny. to get in. Oh, you you can't hear because of the... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, Penny. <laughs> the headphone issue. <laughs> no, that, I mean, I, that's exactly what I was going to say. I think that often the best approach is to, if, if we can instill in community, if if you're spotting someone that you don't think is great and they're not accepting help, um, is to ask them to come and help you yep. do something. And at least that's getting them engaged and, and drawing them out. And I think that over time that will help them, you know, be willing to say, can you come and help me with this, but working on things together. One of the other things I was going to say um, in talking to uh, one of the farmers we've been working with, I was relaying the story of the bushfire coming through our place, and that's over seven years ago, and the grief was still there. And, you know, I burst into tears mm. over it, and, and she said to me, does the grief ever go away? And I'm like, well, no, I guess it doesn't. So it's not, it's not even... You know, we're talking about people not being able to identify their needs now yeah. or in six months' time or in 12 months' time. But this is stuff that's going to sit there for a very long time. Yeah, look, and, and the long time, this is something we've got to deal with. We're, we're in a climate emergency now. This is related to the hottest year we've ever had. It's related to a really bad drought. This isn't going to just stop here. We're facing a future where disasters are going to come in all varieties, in bigger and wilder fashion than we've ever seen before. So I, I think you were saying that you're, you're already starting to get a more formal sort of community network up and running. How, yeah. how can we go about rebuilding our communities so they're more resilient, so they're more connected? I'll have a share on that. I, I'm just looking at some of the outcomes that came from the workshop in Marie a couple of weeks ago with uh, 45 people. These were some of the things that just people off the street sort of said worked well. Leaders arose within the community when the drama happened. Local networks developed quickly within the communities. More interactions between neighbours and a feeling of positive community spirit started to happen. Friendships and kinships. Uh, got stronger. Elderly and vulnerable people safety. People started to be more Absolutely. aware of that. Past experience in crisis management. People who had those experiences started to step up. Local village or street meetings 
uh, were really helpful. And local businesses and private enterprises took on the role of sheltering those seeking safer places. Um, there was, uh, I'm reading here, evaluation of our possessions was one thing that people did well. Looking at what you really want in your life and what you don't need. Uh, preparation for fire fronts and comradeship with the RFS and emergency service personnel and volunteers. They were just some of the things that people saw that really worked well in their community in times of stress and chaos and disruption. Yeah, all really valuable stuff. You know? Absolutely. Um, there's a psychologist called Lynn McTaggart and she believes that in the, hu the field of human consciousness mm -hmm. where all, all human beings are hardwired to care, to share and to be fair. And that's what we actually all intrinsically want to be doing. And I think this is what's happened, you know, in a disaster. It brings that out of us. It brings that to the forefront. And we become very conscious of, yeah. of that need to contribute in that way. Yeah. And I guess um, from a personal experience, when we went down into Blaze Aid, mm -hmm. I, I can't rate that. I mean, they're amazing. They're, I'm really, you know, chuffed to be, you know, hanging out with them at the camp. And they knew what we were doing in terms of um, psychological support and bits and pieces and education is really our mantra and you know it was we had a really big discussion on sort of some of the vicarious trauma that people may hear in terms of um, volunteers mm -hmm. out fencing and seeing some grief so you know mm -hmm. it's really good if we can get the community stuff happening and you know people sort of chatting around in, in whether it be in Blaze Aid or whether it be down in you know the south coast where they're volunteering mm -hmm. so we've got, a, we've got a bigger we've got a bigger issue to look around that as well so using that community to balance some of that and you know let's go down and have a feed for dinner or let's come into the camp that is a real like that's a community within a community and they're being very well accepted within the community mm. and that's what I think if we can build on those steps just mm. like that that's perfect so no one's going in there over the top saying you know you need to be doing this or you need to be doing that it's just get out what can I do and working exactly what you're saying working along with community and it's just that was really positive for me it was just you know they treated us beautifully and you know, they just, it was just great to be part of the team. There was jokes going everywhere and, you know, storm footballers came out and they were out fencing. So it was just the right thing. It was, the, it was, it just proves that that's a really good model moving forward. So if we can elaborate on that and grow that, then that will be hopefully a little bit less damaging. Yeah, that's a lovely segue into, because we're getting close to the end of the show here, of just hearing from each of us um, here, what do you guys need right now? What, what, what can the listeners, if they want to contribute, volunteer, help? Where, what, what do you guys want to request right now? This is your platform. Uh, okay. Oh, if, I, if I can go, mine would be our Facebook page. Now, if I had to start off with Andrew's Facebook page, our first truck wouldn't have left yet. Okay? So that's the reason of using our, 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 our already really, really popular uh, work Facebook page. So our Facebook page is called the G-Spot Camera. So... If, and, and I often ask for, for we, often, we often ask for donations on that page um, it's, it's the page is probably 10% about our business and 90% about, about <laughs> stuff, I think that's fair to say yeah, you know what I mean, occasionally put up specials at the van and I sort of apologise go sorry but we've got to do something for work as well <laughs> do you know what I mean um, um, but at the, at the moment for instance it's not just about the fires there's a whole lot of people who haven't worked for three months, okay? There's also been a lot of power surges that have blown all white goods, so many white goods, so many TVs. And people, are, people can't afford to fix their cars because they haven't worked. They can't afford to 
replace their fridge because they haven't worked. They can't afford to pay their rent because they haven't worked. That's one segment of people. Then there's the people who have lost everything in a bushfire who are waiting for insurance. Then there's the people who are underinsured. Then there's the people who had no insurance. There's so many groups of people who are struggling. It's not just because a lot of people say to me, but they didn't lose a house in a fire. I go, well, you know what? You don't. There's still a vic, there's, well, there's, there's, there's still a survivor of, of, the, of the issue down there. You know, they still had to deal with it. And um, so, if if you get onto our page and if you hear like at the moment we're after sheds, garden sheds, uh, or sorry, not garden sheds, car car sheds. Uh, people are, are looking at pulling them down to replace them. We've got people that will come and get them, and they'll go down. They'll move from a tent into that. So, yeah. So that'd be good help for us. Yeah. Thank you. And anyone next? Do you want to jump in I'll, there? Yeah, I'll go next. Look, I, I, even though um, I'm not running a, a program like these fantastic folks are here, I would just say for anybody wanting to look at the situation in the world and their local area, just how could you volunteer? You know, find a way where you can get meaning and purpose in your life uh, and not be just overwhelmed with the, the current patterns and just offer yourself to help out other people and you'll find it really rewarding. Yeah, I have to say with with Mark on that, the best thing that you can ever do is give your time. Time is valuable. Um, that, and I guess from our point of view, um, we're after funding. We're going in. We're volunteers, and we go in, and we've got a need bigger than we ever imagined. So, we've just branched away from um, being auspiced by the federation here. So we're we're growing hugely at the moment, and right in the middle of that ACNC charitable status. So that's where we're heading. And where can yeah. we point the oh, listeners for funding? Penny. Oh yeah, yeah. Yep. yeah. Details where people can find um, the details are on with Andy and then we'll, we're about to put them up on our website as well. Okay, so, so they can go yeah. to the G-Spot website on yeah, yeah. Oh, G-Spot Facebook page. Facebook page. Facebook page. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's the piece, picking out the pieces yeah. that's spelled P-E-A-C-E-S. Um, for and pieces. we can spell. And we can spell. There's a reason behind it. Um, but I blame Kate. She, she came up with that one. Um, so have a look on there. We And time's one thing and we look at for us funding because now we're seeing what the communities are needing moving forward into mm. the next stage and they're still needing, like, I mean, people in Cabargo, you know, the lady the other day cooked a roast and I said, how'd it go? And she said, great, except it didn't have a mashed potato masher, so we had lumpy potatoes. <laughs> so I was like, okay. And so they're starting to come up with things that they need yeah. that they didn't, they can't remember before. So yeah. Yeah. it's supporting and that. And Penny, you, you've got some things um, to I'm, request there. Sure. I mean, I would agree with the others. If you volunteer wherever you can, and I mean, Blaze Aid's fantastic for that. Oricorp, uh, there is a volunteer register there. Uh, so if you just Googled Oricorp Bushfire Appeal, which is O-R-I-C-O-O-P, Bushfire Appeal, you, um, they are still taking donations. I'm obviously looking after the volunteer side. But I think that, yeah, if you know of people that are in need to, to you know, try and engage them I think mm, is yep. a really good thing that people can do um, yeah I think work out what's best for you if donating money is the best thing or, or white goods or if you can donate your time or even just sit and have a cup of tea with someone then yeah whatever's appropriate for individuals no, that's brilliant all right. Well, that's uh, that's pretty much all we've got time for. I'd like to thank everybody for for joining us. And um, I'm just going to read the list of who we had in here. Yeah, again. yeah, totally. So on the phone, we were joined by Penny Coth from the Oricoop. We have had Mark Spain from Global Learning, Andrew Dale from the G Spot, and Kate Tanasia and Fangie Stradwick from 
pucking up the pieces. <laughs> picking up, picking, picking <laughs> up the pieces. Andrew can't spill. <laughs> oh, I see. <laughs> picking up the pieces for joining us today. Yeah, yeah. So thank you, everybody. That was great. Um, that is certainly all we have time for. You're on Community Radio 2XX. You don't get big, wide-ranging conversations like this on any other station. Uh, so go to 2XXFM.org.au and give us your money as well. Um, yeah. We're all volunteers as well. That's yeah. right. And that's all we've got time for. We'll see you later, everybody. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you.